0: Good morning, is that coming through all right? Perfect, awesome. Uh, I was going to do a little introduction myself, but I don't really need to um, anymore, because uh, I, yeah, well, Thank you. That was quite a big one, but thank you. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a placement student here, and I do a bit of youth work, and i sort of other bits and bobs as well. Um, for all of you guys who, who haven't been here for the last little while, we have been doing a series on Joshua. Um, so this came on the back of a couple of prophetic words that were given to the church uh, a little while ago, and the uh, elders have brought this into this uh, season of, new season of war footing. And so we're going to be looking at Joshua 6 today. Um, I've got to say, I love what Joel said, uh, there he is, about um, you expect God to do, do this, and then God does that. And actually, I think that's really what we're looking at today in uh, Joshua 6, when we look at Jericho, actually, that, you, you know, Joshua expects God to do this, and God does that. And uh, that's just incredible. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to Joshua 6... So far in the story, the Israelites have they've come into the promised land, they've crossed the Jordan, uh, they were circumcised last week, and uh, they've come to the fortress city of Jericho. So, well, yeah, they weren't just circumcised last week, but yes. <laughs> now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor, You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets." And then they make a long blast with the ram's horn. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua commanded the people, just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard were walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually." But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, and then you shall shout. So he caused the Ark of the Lord to circle around the city, going about it once, and then they came into camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men walked before them, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark of the Lords, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, Then the priest blew the trumpets. Joshua said to the people, "'Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, "'and the city and all that was in "'will be devoted to the Lord for destruction. "'Only Rahab the prostitute "'and all who are with her in her house shall live, "'because she hid the messengers whom we sent. "'But you keep yourselves "'from the things devoted to destruction.' Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord; they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the shout of the trumpet, they, the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell flat. So that the people went up into the city every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young, old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But the two men who spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in, And brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all of her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive." And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at this time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have this opportunity to come around your word. Lord, thank you that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray that um, you would just use me this morning to uh, speak your word and to uh, plant seeds in in people's hearts. Lord, I pray that you would just work mightily in this time and your will be done. Amen. So let's go through this passage. It's quite a long piece of scripture, um, but I think it's a really important thing to just be reading passages of scripture even when they're long. So the last time we saw Joshua before we get to here, he's kneeling down at the feet of the commander of the armies of the Lord, and that's in chapter five. And it said that he goes to spy on Jericho. Now so Joshua is probably trying to come up with a strategy. This was a, a military campaign, um, and we find out two things when we look at that. Firstly, that um, in verse one, that Jericho was shut up inside and outside, and that none were going in and coming out. So those who would have escaped would have already escaped. The surrounding villages would have fled and everyone would be in Jericho in this huge fortress. When I uh, think of fortresses and I think of Jericho, I often think of uh, Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings. That's often sort of the first thing that comes to mind uh, when I think of that. I do have a picture of Helm's Deep, which may or may not come up. Yay. Just in case you didn't know where Helm's Deep was. Um, but if you do, then, then yes, it is this fortress city where all of uh, the people gather in times of great need. And I, I sort of think of it like that almost, that the people who would have fled would have fled, and those who wanted to uh, come into Jericho would have, would have been squashed in, in there. So Joshua was looking for a sort of weakness, and I don't know if you um, have seen Lord of the Rings, but if you have, then Helm's Deep is this humongous city, but it has one big weakness, and that is this little water gate that doesn't seem that much, but it's actually a weakness within the wall. And so what happens is then the armies of um, Sauron then attack the wall, they bring in what looks like a humongous landmine, and um, then the flaming torch is, is carried in, and this happens.. That's basically what happens. And so that is what Joshua was looking for when he went to Israelite, when he went to Jericho. He was looking for a weakness that the Israelites could exploit. Maybe he thought God was going to show him this weakness, and from that he would then win the battle. That seems a bit of an interesting thing um, to with Jericho because if you look at Jericho, it's one city and there's a large space around it. It's not like it was a dead end. So you may ask, like, why did um, the Israelites attack Jericho? it would seem rather a silly thing to attack a humongous fortress um, when you could have just gone round it. You know, It's a bit like we're going on a bear hunt, we can't go under it, we can't go over it, we've got to go through it. Why did they go through it? Um, the main reason is that, uh, I don't know if you know, in World War I uh, there were two fronts, fronts. There was the Eastern Front and there was the Western Front. And basically it meant that um, the, the forces were had two fronts that they were fighting on, which means that they'd split their forces both ways. So if the Israelites had gone past Jericho, they would have been stuck in the middle, and they would have had two opposing forces fighting them on either end, which would have been, uh, well, certain death, really. Um, And so it made good military sense that they would take Jericho, even though it seems really difficult. So Joshua is looking for this weakness, and uh, God speaks to him. And we're not sure whether that's the commander of the armies of the Lord who speaks to Joshua in that sense or whether it's an audible projection of God's voice. But God says, I have given Jericho into your hands. I think that's really interesting that God uses the past tense. You know, it's not I'm going to give Jericho into your hands. It's I have given and so that's, that's a real positive for Joshua because what God is saying is that the city is well as good as theirs. God will give them the victory. So Joshua is getting this talk through, this conversation through God, and he, um, he hears, you know, I've given Jericho into your hands. And I'm sure that's very positive for Joshua. And then God says, you will march around the city, all the men of war with you, and, and that's a good thing, you know, you want soldiers when you attack a city. Um, and Joshua gets a bit excited, you know what's going on here. Six days walking around, okay, that's a bit of an odd start, but, you know, we'll work with that. Where are you going, God? And then suddenly God says, and then you're gonna get priests, trumpets, shouting, and a wall's going to fall down." And Joshua goes, right. Now this isn't in the Bible, however, I would suggest there was a break between verse 5 and 6 where Joshua went, so you want us to do a gig and the walls will fall down. But then look what God did in Jordan and with the Red Sea. He is completely capable, but what will the people think? And then he goes, but look what God's done up to here. When we've trusted in him, things have gone right. Let's go for it. And so as we read, the people go through with what God told them to, and God gives them a mighty victory over Jericho. So the main point from today, if you take nothing else out, God's war plan doesn't always look like ours. Sometimes we have sort of key strategic things that we we see, but actually God knows what to do. God's plans and promises are good. So we're just going to unpack this passage a little further with three points, looking at God's presence, God's promise, and then Israel's faith and how that relates to us today as a church and individuals. So firstly, God's presence. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned is at the center, sorry, of Israelites, uh, the Israelites' assault on Jericho. It's mentioned 10 times, nine times between verses six and 15. That's quite a lot of times, within a very short amount of time to mention the Ark of the Lord. And if you look at verses eight to 11, and verses 12 to 14, they're practically identical. When uh, the Bible says something multiple times, it's normally good to take uh, take heed of what it's saying because God's trying to say something important. And the importance of the ark in position to its people is tantamount to the victory. Just as when crossing the Jordan, the ark is at the center of the people and the presence of God is essential in their victory. When you look at what the people did in, in Jericho, it's very little. Because... If God had given them strength of you a hundred men each, and they had broken down walls, and they had gone through, whose glory would it have been for? It would have been projected out as the might of the Israelites had fallen on Jericho. But the way that God does it, in his presence falling down, and the presence being tantamount in the middle of the people, is there is no doubt as who gives the victory over Jericho. God is right among them, and God brings the victory. It also shows the difference between between Yahweh and these other sort of gods that we see in the Bible. Whether it's Baal or Dagon or the, the Canaanite gods that we see, actually, uh, they're distant. They stand aside from their people, and the people cry out to them, and sometimes they hear, and sometimes they don't. Um, but actually, God dwells with His people. The God that we serve dwells with His people and gives them. The victory. Time and time again in scripture we see Yahweh gave them the victory. And this is something that God has been teaching the Israelites throughout the time. Right back to Exodus. If you look at Exodus 14. Before they go into the Red Sea. God says, uh, Moses said to the people. Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today. You will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The presence of God was the primary reason for success in this campaign. And it's the primary reason for success in the battles in our lives. To go into our battles in our own strength is foolishness. When we see throughout Scripture, we have a God who is mightier than any darkness that we can have. The presence of God needs to be within us at all times. But what does that look like? How does that look on tomorrow when, you know, when you're not in all together as Christians and we're not in church in that sense on a Sunday morning? What does that look like on Wednesday when we're, when we're tired and we've had a week of doing things? It looks like being filled with the Holy Spirit, mainly. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, and so we should be bringing the work of the Spirit with us wherever we go. That should be visible in in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, bringing those into our workplaces, into our families, into all situations. If you're you're a manager of people, maybe it means waiting for for people to make mistakes and learn instead of just doing it yourself. If you're you're a mum, maybe it means acting a bit calmly when... Everything seems to be falling apart, Being peace to that situation. If, if you're a youth leader, maybe it means giving second, third, and fourth chances when you don't think they deserve it. That's hard. It's difficult. It means prayer. Bringing the presence of God into your daily lives is, your, is seeing the importance of prayer in, in breaking through in battles and strongholds. It means having a heart of worship throughout your day and everything that you do, that you're serving God. Whether it means you're, you're lifting you know, pallets off of a van or whether you are talking to young people, whether you're baking bread, no matter what you're doing, you do it all to serve God. And that is how the kingdom advances. The presence of God is key in everything that we do. Day in day out, we can do nothing Unless the presence of God is with us. And that's key in Jericho, and it's key today. So God's presence, also God's promise. Throughout this passage, it's clear that Yahweh is a God who keeps his promises. Um, And throughout my life, I know that's key as well. Uh, This is firstly seen in humongous victory that he gives. He promises um, that he has given Jericho into the Israelites' hand, and that is true. You don't see any wavering from that. He does give. Jericho into the Israelites' hands. And as I said earlier, he speaks in the past tense. God's promises are so sure that they have already happened. Later in Joshua, we see in Joshua 21.45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. That's later. Looking back at the entire campaign, Joshua says not one word of God's promises didn't come to pass. He was faithful throughout. And that's the same throughout the entirety of Scripture. Me and Sam did a uh, a seminar at Youth Retreat called We Went Through the Bible in 30 Minutes. It was quite pacey, actually. I think we did it in about 23 in the end. And, um, yeah, just seeing throughout that how the promises of God are true, you know, spanning thousands of years. You know, God promises something and it comes to pass. You know, the the promise of a Messiah and a Savior that we see in Genesis of this serpent crusher, seeing that coming through Moses and and through um, Abraham and Israel and David, and then finally we see Jesus, and then Jesus is not what we expect. Much like with Jericho, the King of Heaven comes down incarnate as a baby As a carpenter, and he dies on a Roman cross. God's promises are sure, but that doesn't mean they're cliche. (laughs) I love films where, well, I love films in general, but sometimes, you know, when you want to watch a film that you know the endings are secure? Like, you know, if you watch a Disney film, you know it's happy ever after, and even though things seem like they can't get better. You know, Belle is fleeing from the castle, her father looks like he's going to be put into an asylum, but you know it's going to be happy ever after in Beauty and the Beast. You know, Aladdin, Hercules, all of them, they all have happy ever afters. And sometimes it's nice that you have that, that security. And we have that security. Jesus has won the victory. We know from Revelation that Jesus has won the victory, and no matter what happens, Satan is crushed, but... At the same time, I also love films where they give a little bit of a twist, and that's the same as well. God never does things to plan. Well, our plan. (laughs) He does things to his plan. And so God does what here in Jericho, he gives them the victory, and it's sure, but it's not what they would expect So God fulfills promises to Joshua. He also really quickly does to Rahab as well. This is where we get um, the sort of conclusion of the shady lady story um, that Duncan started a few weeks ago. God remains true to his promises, and she's brought from a place of sure destruction to a place of security in the Israelite camp. Think about, you know, all her neighbors are fleeing the Israelites are marching on Jericho and everyone's fleeing away and everyone's going, Rahab, what are you doing? Get, get your family out. And she says, No, I'm gonna stay. Because I know that God's got promises. And they go, You're mad. But it's your funeral. And they all flee, and she stays. Now I reckon in that time it would have been really easy to think, either I'm gonna go, or I'm gonna trust in the walls of Jericho. Rahab could have put her na- her her um Faith in the apparent strength of the walls of Jericho. But she knew that the Lord would bring the victory. She had to look beyond her own eyes, what her own eyes could see. It's like that scene in Star Wars. I don't know if you, you know it when um, the, where Luke's training and it's the first time he's used a lightsaber so he's a little bit ropey. And um, you've got this little ball. I don't actually know what it's called. I wish I did, but it fires like laser beams at him and he's trying to get it and it's like spoken off of him. And Obi-Wan puts this visor on his head and he says, don't trust your eyes. Your eyes will deceive you. And actually I think God's trying to say today to some people, you're trusting what your eyes can see you're letting the flesh dictate what you do. But actually, I know what's best for you. Trust in me. Don't listen to your own eyes. Don't listen to what you think you know. Trust in what you know you know. Amen. Thank you. We sang a song last night um, at Rain Collective. Called, it was a new one called Weep With, Weep With Me. And it says, um, it says... True, um, what's the line? Truth in the light is the same as truth in the darkness. Sometimes it doesn't seem like you can see the way, but truth is truth in the light and truth is truth in the darkness. God brings his promises to bear. And finally, we've looked at God's presence, God's promise, but now also we actually look at the Israelites' faith because the Israelites do well. There are times in, in you know, Exodus and, and Judges and Joshua and the whole of the Bible actually where, where Israelite doesn't do well. But actually, Israel does pretty good in this one. Because we, uh, we, we only looked at the plan set forth by God and it doesn't seem to be particularly military in nature. You know, they march, they go home. They march, they go home. They march and they go home. And on the seventh day... They blow the trumpets or yell, and the walls are meant to fall down. And obviously in 5 and 6, I said that Joshua probably had a little bit of a, a bit of a wonder. But we also, it says that Joshua passed it on to the people, and then the people did it. I reckon there were a few of them as well who were a bit like, is this really what we should be doing? But they had faith. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. That was the power and the work of God, but faith brought it to completion. The people had faith in God, but they also had faith in Joshua and Joshua's leadership. I think this is a key point as well, that in a, in a culture that tells you to listen to yourself today, to be free what you do, that submission uh, to any sort of authority is a bad thing, and you shouldn't listen to what other people say, and commitment isn't worth it because you might want to get out of it later. Actually, what we're called to be is, is to respect those who God has given authority, whether that's elders leaders, life group leaders, politicians. Sometimes we don't honor politicians and I know that I do the same. Sometimes I get messed up in in what I think and I I forget what God's got. Honoring leaders is so important today, more than ever so, I'd say. In a culture that tells us that, that we're not meant to honor leaders, actually we show that presence and that fruit of God by doing it, by honoring, by submitting, by saying, you know what, I like where you're going. I think that you're going where God's going. I want to follow you. And that's what church is. Under the headship of Christ, following what he does. So that means when Joshua says, keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction, almost all of the Israelites follow his orders. They don't all. You'll find out next week that, you know, there's a couple of people who who disobey, and you'll look at the story of Achan. I think Sai's preaching on that next week. And, but the, the majority of, of, of the people of Israel remain faithful to Joshua, and they keep themselves from the things devoted to destruction. Now, it would be, be awesome to think that the people of Israel remain faithful to God promises, God's promises throughout, and that Scripture tells us that um, you know, they, they follow God and all is happily ever after, but actually we all know that that's not how the rest of Scripture goes. And so we end the passage of chapter 6 with a warning. And Joshua isn't talking to the Canaanites here. Sometimes you can think he was talking to the Canaanites because he's talking about rebuilding Jericho. But actually, all the Canaanites have fled or are dead by this point. So he's talking to the Israelites. He says, "'Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay, his fo- lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates.'" Now, does Joshua mean that the physical building of Jericho? Partly, maybe, because if you think about the campaign, what I said earlier about fighting a war on two fronts, that if people were to set up in Jericho and there was to be um, a, a battle, actually, that would be quite difficult. But mainly, I think that Joshua was speaking to the hearts and the actions of the Israelites. Jericho was the biggest city in the area. And so it would have been a hive of abominable actions. You would have held the things that we, we, we speak about in the sense of Canaanite worship with uh, idol worship, child sacrifice, sexual immorality. Uh, all of that would have occurred within and around Jericho. I think Joshua is putting into, into new language almost what, what God has already said to the Israelites in Leviticus. God says in Leviticus 18.28, if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Joshua is stating to Israel the danger of becoming like the Canaanites by rebuilding Jericho in their heart, rebuilding that culture. And Joshua speaks of generations being lost if the people of God turn away from him and into farther land, and they do. If you look throughout Scripture, they do. And what happens? The exile. Generations of Israel lost to other nations. And and Joshua gives this warning. He says there's a cost for abominable actions. There's a cost for sin. It says later in Romans that the wages of sin is death. Sin has a cost. And we need to be really careful about that. Sometimes we're a grace-filled church and that's immense. But sometimes we also forget that, that sin has a cost because we're too busy saying, oh, we don't need to worry about it. It's completely done. It's fine. I can walk free and I don't need to worry about it. Sin has a cost, though. So, summing up Jericho is a tough passage, but it's a rich passage. It's got so much, so, so much that I couldn't even fit it all in. You know, if I was here for a couple of days, but I don't worry. It's, I'm sticking it down to a smaller amount. It speaks of the presence of God dwelling with his people in a tangible and powerful way. And that's my desire for this church, that we would see more of the presence of God released, not just on a Sunday, although Sundays are great, but also in our youth, in our life groups, in the hub, wherever we are gathered, that actually the presence of God will be tangible in those places, in our day-to-day lives. You know, you may think, and I've, you know, I've, I've had this. You may think that you're the only person in your, in your work who's a Christian you're sort of battling against. Actually, God says bring the presence of God straight into that place. Me and, um, Dave? Me and Dave used to work at weight shows in Uckfield. And um, there were times where literally we would just sit at the table and just chat about random worship songs and stuff. And people were like, what are you talking about? It was great. I loved it. I loved that we had church there because we were gathering as the people of God and talking about him and how amazing he was. Let that be the case in your work, in your families. talking about what God's doing. You know, experiencing the presence of God firsthand in those places. Jericho speaks about the strength of the promises of God, that God has put promises in the lives of the Israelites just as he has your heart, and he's going to bring those to fruition, but sometimes it doesn't look like you think it will. And then finally, it speaks about the faith of God's people, but also it warns what happens with faithlessness. Jericho is an amazing passage, and it has so much for our lives. I just want to, if you'd like to close your eyes for a second. I think God's been speaking to a couple of people as I've, um, as I've been been speaking a couple of different types and um one of those is about about respecting authority maybe god's been putting some seeds into your heart that actually you haven't been respecting authority like you should have been maybe it's uh, that you've been impatient with god's promises that you've been you've been saying god why aren't you doing this i need this i need this now and god says wait have patience my promises are good Maybe you realize that you haven't been taking sin that seriously in your life. Actually, you haven't been cutting it out as you should. Maybe God's highlighted that in your heart. I think God's spoken to everyone differently this morning. I think God's highlighted different things. So I don't think I'm going to do a a um, wide-scale response in that sense. I think God's spoken individually to hearts. But I would say, take it seriously, what God has spoken to you. Don't just walk out the door, see the sun and go, ooh, nice day, and completely forget what God's spoken to you. If he's planted it in your heart, there's a reason. Write it down, write it on your phone, write it in your Bible. Work on it. God's spoken to me through this passage. There's stuff that I'm working on in the next few weeks. And have been for the last few days because of what God's spoken to me through this passage. Now I'm just going to pray to close. Father, thank you so much that your promises are good. Lord, thank you that your presence is here for us. And Lord, I just pray that we would have faith to see more and more of your your word preached, more and more of your spirit felt Lord, Holy Spirit, thank you so much for what you've done this morning in this place. Lord, thank you that you have been uh, amongst us. And Lord, I just pray that you would work in the hearts of all my dear brothers and sisters here who have heard this message. Lord, thank you that you've been speaking to them. You've been giving them specific things about their lives. And I pray that they would be really serious about that. I think, Lord... There are some people who want to make right with you. I'm going to give that space now. Well, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you, you continue to do. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Helsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHelsham.org.